Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 4. We need not be long. Let's just rejoice in a great God in whom we can trust for the circumstances and details of our lives. But now I would suggest, as a brother mentioned a few minutes ago before we prayed, let's not have any sins in our lives that we have not confessed and that we are regarding because then He can be our enemy. As it tells us in a place in Isaiah 63 and verse 10, I believe it is, where God the Holy Spirit can become our enemy by fighting against us. And so when we trust in the Lord, we want Him to be on our side. We want Him drawing nigh to us. We want Him beholding us and looking upon us and smiling with His countenance. We do not want to have angered Him nor offended a jealous God by any of the sins that we covered in the first assembly. I read to you verses 13 through 17 of James 4. Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. May the Lord bless the reading and explanation of His Word. These verses are simple for us, but they are things that are practical that we can use every day. Father in Heaven, bless us in a few minutes to rejoice and place our confidence and trust in Your glorious and affectionate will for us and Your glorious and effectual power. Thou art able to do for us what we cannot see or do ourselves. You see the end from the beginning, while we are lost and confused with today only. O Lord, teach these people, teach me how to trust you for all the details. Thou hast been faithful to us, and we sang God will take care of you because we know that is true because You have taken care of us. Now we open Your Word, and we pray that You will give us delight and instruction from it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. The greatest king that ever lived, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, said, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand, nor say unto him, What doest thou? Praise the God of heaven that we worship. We worship a great and glorious God, and we want to submit and trust Him with our lives. Thank you, brothers, for reading those passages of Scripture to us. Young Kevin read to us 2 Samuel chapter 10 where we had described a battle where Joab found himself surrounded. 
He had Syrians and Ammonites on both sides. And so he committed half the army to Abishai, his brother. He took the other half and he said, Be of good courage, brother. Let us play the men for our city and for our God. And let the Lord doeth as it seemeth him good. That is how we should, that's how we should run our lives. If the Lord will, we'll do this or that. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Because not only are we ignorant of whether our efforts will be successful, we are ignorant of whether we will even be alive tomorrow night. Be of good courage. Play the men for our city and for our God. What a general. What a wonderful statement. Joab had his problems, but at times he showed great faith and courage. And so he said, let the Lord do as it seemeth him good. And the Lord showed what was good for him that day. The Syrians fled. When the Syrians, the better army, fled, the Ammonites decided that it was a time for them to flee as well. What a, what a wonderful passage of Scripture. Then our brother Jonathan read to us Isaiah 46. Who can hear those words and not be stirred in your heart? If you don't get stirred in your heart, you've got a problem. Confess it right now. To whom will ye compare me that I may be like? Do you have some other God that you can tell me about that you can compare me with that I might be like Him? Remember this, you transgressors, for your idols of gold. You open your bag. You take a little bit of gold. You put it in the refiner's fire. And He fashions a God. He's mocking them. He says, I declare the end from the beginning and those things which are not yet done as though they were. I'm calling a ravenous bird from the east. He's bringing the Babylonians upon Israel to punish them. And they're coming to do His bidding. He's the God of heaven. The greatest monarch on the earth served Him. And He is called 50 times in your Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Nebuchadnezzar was a servant of our God. Do you know when Nebuchadnezzar raised the city of Jerusalem, whom he took and took care of very carefully? What was his name? Jeremiah the prophet. In all the raping and ravaging of that city, special orders were given. Take care of Jeremiah. Isn't that wonderful? You know, the city of Jericho fell flat, but there was a woman named Rahab whose whole family was protected. Even though the great God caused the walls of that city to fall flat, she was protected because her trust was in the Lord God of Israel. Let us have our trust in that great God. Then our brother Bernie read to us from Acts chapter 16, Paul tried to go north? No. Paul tried to go south? No. He was coming from the east, so he headed west. But he headed west with the confidence God was in it because he had a vision in the night. And a man from Macedonia said, come over and help us. And he had a, and he loosed, and they took a straight course. There was no storm. There was nothing in their way. They arrived in a colony of Macedonia named Philippi. They went out to a riverside, and it got arranged a few events. Was there a woman there that was a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira? She was in the wrong place. Paul was in the wrong place. His home church was Antioch of Syria. But were they ordained by God to meet that day? And she attended under the things that were spoken of Paul because the Lord opened her heart. Do you love the Word of God? He couldn't go north. He couldn't go south. Because there was a woman there that we learned by name needed to be converted by the preaching of Paul. Praise the Lord. He, or he takes care of all the details. 
Verse 13. Go to now. That's an expression to get your attention. Like, listen to me. Get a load of this. I'm going to tell you something. Go to now, ye that say. Here was the sin that was going on among these scattered Jews. Here's what they were saying that was wrong. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. What's wrong with that boast? Tomorrow is wrong with it. They don't know that they're going to live tomorrow. Two, we're going to go. You don't know if you or your transportation are going to be able to travel. Those of you with vehicles, have you figured that one out? That sometimes you can't go? Because the moths and rust doth corrupt General Motors, Ford, Toyota, and Honda? Have you learned that? Look at this passage. Look at the sin in it. Go to now, you that say today or tomorrow, sin one, we will go, sin two, into such a city. How do you know you're going to get that far? Number three, we're going to continue there a year. Everything's going to be fine for a year. That's sin four. We're going to buy it. We're going to buy. How do you know you're going to find sellers? We're going to sell. How do you know you're going to find buyers? And we're going to get gain. You're presuming on a profit. All such boasting is evil. All such boasting is evil. Go to now, ye that say such things. Verse 14, Wherefore, whereas, ye know not what shall be on the morrow. How can you even start with your first statement? Because you do not even know what's going to come tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I wish I could get a hold of everyone under the age of 30 or 40, those of us 30 or 40 or older, we have some, we have some understanding of this. Our lives have raced away so quickly, it's hard to imagine. But like a little bit of vapor that just disappears under the heat of the sun, a little bit of fog in the morning, a little bit of fog in the valleys, as soon as the sun pops up, it's gone. And so are our lives. You young people, your lives are going to race away. They're going to race away. Use every day that you have. Use every week, month, and year that you have now. Serve the Lord now. Remember thy Creator in the days of thy youth before it's all gone. It disappears oh so quickly. You do not know what tomorrow is going to bring forth, so you should not boast of it. You don't know if you'll be alive. You don't know of a lot of other things that are going to happen. Only God sees the end from the beginning and knows what's going to happen tomorrow. If Tamar had known what Amnon conspired in having her fix a meal for him, do you think she would have run to her father David and begged for protection? You do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. Jesus said, if the goodman of the house had known, that's the husband, if the husband of the house had known what hour and what watch, what time, what night the thief was going to come, he would have watched and kept his house from being broken up. You do not know what's going to happen. You could get sick today. Most of us have. Many of us have. You could be in a car accident. You could get fired. You could have a fire. You could meet an old friend. You could get mugged. You could lose your wallet, forget an appointment, have insurance canceled, be tempted by a strange woman, get sued by an enemy, be drafted into the army, have family members get sick, have an employee quit on you, and a thousand other things that you do not know are going to happen that will change your life. You do not know what's coming on the morrow. So, to say, tomorrow we're going to go there, 
for a year and stay and buy and sell and get gain has seven sins of presumption in it. Because you do not know that those things are going to happen. And the cure is simply to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and make it to tomorrow. And if the Lord will, we shall go into such and such a city and continue there a year. And if the Lord will, we'll buy and sell. And if the Lord will, we'll make a profit from the effort. If you submitted all the will of God, He expects you to do some planning. Life is short, brethren. Very short. James has already said that the rich should not despise the poor. Chapter 1, remember it? Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Let the, brother, let the rich brother rejoice in that he is humbled because he knows he is not taking any of his glory with him. Life is short and he will not take any of the advantage that he has in this life. Life is very short. Death is certain and after that comes the judgment. You know the Bible tells us that God has determined the longevity of human life at 70 years for about the last 3,000 years. The world can talk all they want to you about different life expectancies. When you go into an actuarial table and find out that in 1900, the average American only lived to be 47 years of age, that's because they're averaging in all the babies that died at birth because they didn't know how to take care of childbirth. Because they didn't believe in running water and washing hands. The Bible taught that in the Old Testament, in the books of Moses, to wash hands. The hospitals of New York, just a hundred years ago, men would go from dead cadavers to delivering babies. And they wondered why infant mortality at those hospitals was above 50%. It's because they didn't practice what the Bible had taught. When they did bring water in, it would be in a bucket, a five-gallon pail. All the doctors use it all day long, from dead cadavers to babies. And babies were dying. We wash our hands. We learn those things. Life is short. God has determined it's going to be 70 years. What chapter of the Bible tells us that life is 70 years long? Psalm 90. Psalm 90 says three score years and ten. And if by reason of strength you might make it to 80. You say, I know of some exceptions beyond that. That's why there are exceptions. The math still plays out. All actuarials know that the average life expectancy of a male in the United States of America in 2007 is still 73 or 74. What do you think that's an average of? It's an average of 70 and a few strong ones making it to 80. I love the Word of God. Now, do you know who wrote Psalm 90? Moses. Moses wrote Psalm 90. When you look at an actuarial table, don't you tell anyone that modern medicine has lengthened the life expectancy of man, the life expectancy has always been 70. If you'd have had a midwife or a doctor that washed his hands before he delivered you, you were going to make it a ways. You're going to make it to 73, just like today. But brethren, do you know how fast 73? Dad, how, how old are you going to be this year? He's going to be 77 this year. It goes quickly, doesn't it? You know, when you look at that picture of you, Standing beside that bear that you shot in Pennsylvania when you were a young man. It seems like yesterday, not too long ago. It goes. It goes. Do you know how the Bible describes it? The Bible says that we have our life in our nostrils. Do you know you have two little holes in your body? They're right here. And the Bible says our breath is in our nostrils. Do you know what it takes for me to kill you? A clothespin. All it takes is a clothespin. 
somebody will say, well, I could breathe through my mouth. You're missing the point. A clothespin. Our breath is in our nostrils. That is how weak we are. And men want to boast about what they're going to do tomorrow. They don't even know if these are going to be squeezed tonight by an angel of God. You know, Jesus once said to a rich man who was boasting about how much he had that he was going to build new barns tomorrow. And the Lord came to him and said, Thou fool, thou fool, tonight thy soul is going to be required of thee, and then who will own all of your assets? And the angel squeezed his nose shut, and it was over. This is how the Lord wants you to understand that your life is nothing, and it is very short. Man at his best state is altogether vanity. Man at his best state is altogether vanity, is what the Bible teaches in Psalm 39. Turn turn to Job 14. Turn to Job 14. What did Job think about his life? You know, it's good to listen to old men. There's some old men in the Bible. There's some old men in the Bible. And they tell us what to think about life. Look at Job 14.1. Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. That's what an old man has to say about life. Come over to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. Can anyone guess by the number of that chapter of Genesis what old man I'm referring to? Jacob. Very good. Oh, you bless my heart. Let's know the Word of God. Genesis chapter 47 and verse 9. Jacob is speaking to Pharaoh. Genesis 47, 9. And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are in hundred and thirty years. Now that man, he should have been excited about the long life he lived. Don't you think we're about to get a load of excitement? A hundred and thirty years. I've had a blast. Here's his testimony. The days of the years of my pilgrimage are in hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Yes, Pharaoh, you're 37. I'm 130, but I haven't lived as long as my father Isaac. He didn't live as long as his father Abraham. And my days have been few, and they've been full of trouble and evil. There's life. And man wants to boast about what he's going to do over the next year. If the Lord will, we shall live. And do this or that. Please. The speed and shortness of life is described in our chapter, James 4, verse 14, as a vapor. Look at Psalm 90. The Lord gets very figurative in His language when He describes how short life is. It's called a vapor. A little tiny bit of gas that is going to disappear with a little bit of heat. Be driven away and just disappear. Dissipate. Gone. Can't see it. Can't find it. It was right there a minute ago. Now it's gone. And every one of us are going to be that way. You know, last night at Devotions, Eric was talking about one of the illustrious civil and business leaders of our city died recently that he knew well from the day of the restaurant. He's well known in our city. He was 65 or so. He was very accomplished in his life. And yet, after the obituary is printed in the newspaper, guess what? Bye-bye. Can't even find him. Can't even find anything about him. He's gone. And our lives are all going there. 
We have not faced this yet in our church, but we shall face it. And we're all going to face it. Let's love the Lord and live for Him and trust Him every day of our lives, long before it gets here. So that when it gets here, we're rejoicing because we know that we've lived our lives in total faith and trust in the God that loves us, who has saved us, and who will see us past the curtain of death and into His presence forever. Your life is but a vapor. Look at Psalm 90. What is it called here in Psalm 90 in verse 9? For all our days are passed away in Thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told like a little story. A little story and it's soon over and it's gone. The story's ended and, oh, do you have another one? Because it's gone. Our years are like a tale that is told. Look at Job chapter 7. The Holy Spirit is creative on this subject because He wants to impress you with all these different images of how quickly your life is over. Job chapter 7 and verse 6. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Now, I have a problem. You know, I didn't, I wasn't raised in the textile capital of the world, but this was once the textile capital right here, Greenville, South Carolina. And I've been told that a weaver's shuttle, I have seen a sewing machine going rather quickly as it goes up and down with its needle, and I would assume that a weaver's shuttle is like that, but it's a piece of weaving equipment to make cloth. And he's describing that very rapid motion is life and it's over. Gone. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Look at verse 7. Oh, Verse 7, oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall see no more good. It just blows away so quickly like the wind comes and goes. Look at chapter 9. Job chapter 9, verse 25. Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. My days are swifter than a post. What's the post? The mailman. You say, well, well, I know they're government employees. That's why you haven't seen a fast mailman in a while. But try to think about the Pony Express, where they would ride one of those horses for 10 or 20 miles. It'd be all foamed up. They would drop it off and jump on another horse and beat it to the next outstation of the Pony Express to deliver the mail. I'm sorry that you haven't seen enough to know that this means fast. You're always wondering why your mail doesn't get there on time anymore. But as fast as a post in 925, how about 926? They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. Hey, have you ever read about the eagle? Does the eagle drift toward its play, toward its prey? Hey, have you ever read about an eagle? It will ascend to very great heights, being able to fully see its prey. It can see a field mouse in a field at a quarter of a mile. A rabbit, forget it. It can go way up, and it will tuck its wings in and dive and then open those wings and it will hit in excess of 120 miles an hour. Swift as an eagle. As swift ships. Racing ships. Ships that can deliver in a hurry. And we could go on and on. The Bible says our life is like a flower. It's like a hand breath. It's only four inches wide. It's like a sleep. You know, sleep is never long enough, is it? When you wake up, you say, oh, it's morning already? Oh, it's time to die already? Oh, the Bible's good. The Bible is good. It's like a smoke just goes up and disappears. It's like a shadow. It's like a shepherd's tent. What's a shepherd's tent? That isn't a permanent dwelling place. A shepherd moved around with the sheep. So a, a shepherd's tent could be folded up very quickly, put in his back, and they go on. It's like a shepherd's tent. 
It's like grass. The Bible has all this to say about the shortness of life. So how in the world can we say, tomorrow I'm going to go into such a city and I'm going to continue there a year? Oh, you don't know that. The Lord wants you to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. God does not condemn planning. This passage does not condemn ambition. He just wants you to submit it to His will. Turn to Proverbs chapter 16. This is my favorite verse on this point. And you should have verses that are the clearest in the Bible. There are many that are not as clear as this one about how we approach life. All of us have decisions to make. Every one of you have decisions to make. You face dilemmas. God is not condemning planning. He has given you an intellect. He has given you counselors. Listen to me. He's given you a mind. He's given you a heart with desires, and He respects your heart that has personal preferences. Some of you like vanilla ice cream. Some of you like chocolate. Some of you like mint chocolate. Some of you like strawberry. God allows that in your life. He gave you some of those preferences. He put those differences in your taste button. Those are, those are in your heart. In your mind, you have intellectual capacity to be able to analyze various alternatives and to sort out the pros and cons of each. He does not deny you the use of those things. He just wants you to understand where the details come from. You may devise a way. I'm going to go in this direction. He'll take care of the details. And He wants you to say it. If the Lord will, I'm going to go in this direction. He's also given you counselors. I'm telling you how to make decisions in your life. Go with what your heart says. Oh, I know I'm treading. The ice is so thin when I say those words. But go with what your heart says if it's a matter that God has not addressed. If God's addressed it, you know it's no matter for your heart. It's a matter for your faith. God has spoken. I believe it. That settles it. But in any other matter outside the Bible, you know, if you've got three people that both fear the Lord and you're thinking of marrying them, then the Lord says, go ahead and pick the one you want. Let your heart pick the one you want. Go go with your heart. Go with your mind. Make a little tea account for each one. This one has these pros. This one has these cons. The Lord allows that. The Lord says, go get a bunch of counselors. For in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So the Lord allows all that. He wants you to use all that. But He always wants you to say, if the Lord will. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But you can choose which this or that you're going to do different from others by your heart, by your mind, and by counselors that help you. <laughs> hey, by the month they're going to pay. Doesn't that help? You know, when you've got three alternatives for jobs and one's going to pay twice as much as the other two, I don't have to think long on that one, do you? But then someone might say, well, I, just, I, I couldn't do that. You know, there's a, there's a particular job right now that I hope some of, one of our young people, just one, if one of our young people would please me, there's, there's one job that for the pay has the least amount of education in our country right now. It's well known by anyone that looks. It's a CRNA. That's a certified registered nurse anesthetist. The average one in Greenville makes 200000 a year. It only takes six years of schooling. That's two years after your, your bachelor's degree. Someone should do that, but you know... If you sit down with a young man and say, how would you like to be an anesthetist? Well, what do they do? Well, they sit there for 12 hours a day, very still and very quiet, and watch needles to make sure that a person stays almost dead, but not dead. Well, what's it like? Well, in the words of one that I interviewed in the last year, 
It's primarily sheer boredom. But then for a few minutes every day, it's sheer terror. So then you say, well, what do you got to do? Well, sometimes it'll be a lady that's going to have a baby, and you have to take a needle about this long and stick it into her backbone, called an epidural. Now, see, I, could, I couldn't stick it. Listen, if you, ever, if you ever need a shot, don't be with me. Do not be with me. You'd have to do it yourself. And the reason I'm saying all this is because our hearts are all made differently. You can sit down with the logic and point out, do you know what you can buy for 200 a year? Wow, that adds up. They're signing bonuses at Greenville Memorial Hospital right now because they want 10 right now on the spot. Signing bonuses like you're playing for the NBA. But it's the heart. You know, somebody could say, I don't care that it pays that much. I couldn't do it. I can't stick needles in the, I can't stick needles in the people, you know. I couldn't do it. And you know, some of us like to play with data. Some of us like to play with things. Some of us like to deal with people. And those are the three kind of jobs that exist in the world. And so as you make decisions through life, you trust your heart, you trust your mind, you trust counselors that you go to, and you always say, if the Lord will. And if you say the Lord will and you mean it the way that I'm trying to teach you right now, He will take care of the details. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 9. This is the rule on how you make decisions in life that are outside the Word of God. If God's decided already, this we're not talking about that here. What God has ruled on is already settled. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. The way is, I'm going to go in this direction. The steps of where you end up with all the details are God's choice. And if your trust is in Him and you love Him, He will love you and bless you in those details. For those of you that read your Bibles last night, you read Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. She devised a way in her heart. Two widow women coming back to Israel. They didn't have money. They didn't have jobs. They didn't have husbands. They didn't have fathers to provide for them. So Ruth says, I'll go out and glean today. Naomi says, the Lord be with you. Go out and glean today. So Ruth starts traveling down the road to get to all the farmer's fields. And she gets down that road. She has a way that she has devised with her mother-in-law, Naomi. They are going to glean. That means pick up after the reapers the little scraps that they drop. She's going to get enough there to take back to her mother-in-law to survive. She has devised a way in her heart. There is something that I, a Moabitess woman, can do in Israel. I can go glean. She's devised a way in her heart. She wanders down the road. Tractors are passing her both sides. You know what I mean. You know what I... Hey, there's a field on the left. There's a field on the right. There's fields everywhere. She looks at one field, and they look like they're very careful. Very careful reapers. There doesn't look like there's much left over there. I mean, they have come right into the corners and cut it three different ways to make sure there's no corners left. What did the Bible say about that? Did the Bible say you could plow in straight, you could, you could uh, reap in straight lines, or did you have to leave the corners? You had to make a big wide turn and leave a corner so that the gleaners could come by and get it. The, the Lord has a great welfare system and it's better than what the United States has, trust me. You'd have to get out there in that field in order to survive. She walks down that road, there's fields on the left, there's fields on the right, she comes to a crossroads, country farm road it's called. She doesn't know, she doesn't know which, so she goes left. She goes left. She's down there, two fields. She turns into this field. She sees a big marker out in the center of the field, a pile of stones. That means that the field is divided this way, so that there's four fields there. Oh, she turns to this field on her left. 
the bottom lower quadrant of that big field that's bisected in two directions. And it was her hat to land on a field of Boaz. And Boaz was kin of her dead father-in-law, Elimelech. And he was a mighty man of wealth. He was a mighty man, a very successful businessman. And you know the story. I, could, I, I love the little book of Ruth. Doesn't it make your heart rejoice? A little Moabitish. Let me tell you about that little Moabitish woman, though. When Naomi said, stay here, listen. Our nations are so different. Our families are so different. I ain't got nothing for you. Even if I was to conceive tonight, you'd have to wait 20 years before you could marry him. Why don't you just stay here? You've read Ruth 1, haven't you? It's very plain. I mean, see, people in the Bible are plainer than we are. Well, maybe not plainer than me, but they're, they're plain. They're very plain. Do you know what that woman said? Your God is my God. Your people are my people. Where you're buried, I'm going to be buried. That is putting her trust in the Lord. Do you think the Lord's going to take care of her steps? She devises a way in her life. She wanders down the road. She takes the left turn. She turns right into a field. She sees that there's four fields there. She turns left again. It's the field of a very successful businessman who is single and who likes her looks. Oh, really? A mob? Yes. Did she wander into the field that day? And Boaz, as soon as he arrived, said, Who's that one over there? And they said, oh, that's, that's Ruth, the Moabitish woman that came back with... Oh, because, you know, the rumors had already circulated. She had perfect character. So now he had a good-looking woman in his field with perfect character. And he said, well, you, you make sure you tell her. Don't, don't you let any of the guys touch her or hit on her. She's safe in my field. Tell her to stay here. And he, and he told her, let her have lunch with us. And while they're having lunch together, he reached her some parched corn He passed her a big chunk of cornbread is what my father called it last night. My Boaz handed a big chunk of cornbread to Ruth. She had enough to suffice herself. She stuck the rest in her pocket. She took it home to Naomi. You know, for the afternoon when it gets hot and it's harder to reap, Boaz told his reapers, drop some on purpose. Oh, come on, folks. Does your heart well up? Listen, I I feel like a wine bottle. It's such a wonderful story. Almost every verse has something good in it. Drop some on purpose. Let her, let her even sneak over and work on the sheaves that we, you know what a sheave is? That's where they gather the stuff together and wrap, that's the bales. You know, they weren't supposed to touch the bales. He said, listen, if you see her over there cutting a string on a bale, don't you dare say a word, I like her. (laughs) She got home that night. She got home that night. Listen, she was tired when she got home because of what she had gleaned that day. She put it out in front of her. My daughter, you found grace somewhere today. Hey, I've got lunch for you too. And she brought out that corn. How did all that happen? I am not entertaining you to be foolish. I'm entertaining you to believe Proverbs 16.9. A man's heart deviseth his way and the Lord directs his steps. His steps. The details. I could stop with every single one of you and talk about details in your lives. Oh, brother. Do you know some of the details in your life? Who in the world hired a secretary that was there before you got there? Brother. I mean, all the stories that I could go through each one of you. You're doing a whole lot better than crawling under house. You remember? The details. 
the time you happen into our church to hear a, re- a letter read from a young lady in our church to the whole church, he takes care of all the details because you set your heart in a way, I'm going to follow the Lord after each one of you. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. When you're making decisions, you know what? Isn't that wonderful? Is our Father good? Go with your heart, young man. Go with your heart, young lady. Go with your mind. Do some analysis. Be wise. Be prudent. The prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. Even if his heart wants to do it, his mind says, no, that's not going to be good. Go with counsel. But trust me for the details. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. That's how we ought to speak. Look at Acts chapter 18. Paul is our pattern. We want to think, speak, and act the way the Apostle Paul did. He said, be ye followers of me, even as I am a follower of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. But look at Acts 18 and verse 21. Acts 18.21 Paul bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. See, his heart had devised a way. He was going to go to Jerusalem to keep the feast. But I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Look at Romans chapter 1. Turn a few pages over to Romans chapter 1. Do you think that as an apostle, we would understand that he is submitting his whole life and all of his decisions to the will of God? But even though we understand that, he still says it, and the Holy Spirit recorded it, so that we would get accustomed to doing it often. We should say, if the Lord will, if God permits, on a regular basis. It's an act of worship. Did you know what we're saying? There's only one being that controls the future, and it's not me. If the Lord will. It's not the government. It's not my parents. It's not money. It's not power. It's not influence. And when we say the words, it's not what you know, but who you know, the who of who you know is the Lord. Oh, there's, there's advantages to knowing some other people as well. But the real who that you want to know is the Lord Himself. When we say it's not what you know, it's who you know. We want to know the Lord. Romans 1.10 Making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Chapter 15, same book. Romans 15 and verse 32. He wants to come and visit these Romans. Verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. This is 1532, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. Didn't he already say that in chapter 1 and verse 10? That he might have a prosperous journey by the will of God? Why is he repeating himself in the same letter? Is there any wisdom here for us? There has to be wisdom here for us. That if we do not get the will of God brought into our plans and into our statements about what we're going to do, we are sinning against God. All such boasting is evil, the Lord said, to boast of tomorrow and not submit it to His will. Because we are so temporary, so fragile, and so uncertain of what's going to happen tomorrow. Back to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. How, how would you hurt to read the book of Ruth again this afternoon? How would you hurt? Listen, if you don't laugh, if you don't punch the air, if you don't smile inside and outside, you've got a problem. There's nothing you can watch from Hollywood that's going to match Ruth. 
Because Hollywood's all a lie. You know, they have to put a camera on a two-foot, a little two-foot cart in order to make some of those actors look like men. Tom Cruise, the guy's only five foot, five and a half inches tall. Why don't you read about some real heroes? When the Bible says he was a mighty man of wealth, he hadn't overdrawn his checking account in the previous month. And she found him. And I want you to remember, the great-grandchild of Ruth and Boaz is David, the king of Israel. Praise the Lord! Back to James. Verse 15, here's how we ought to live. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Notice he doesn't say that it's wrong. I'm planning on living another year. And I'm planning on going into business in this direction. That's not wrong. I'm going to go into this direction and not that direction. This or that. You can't do them both. They're mutually exclusive. I'm going to do this or that. But always, if the Lord will. If the Lord will. That changes it all in the sight of God. You're submitting yourself to Him. You're worshiping Him. These arrogant Jews, not only were they fighting among themselves, but they were arrogantly talking about their great plans and what they were going to be able to accomplish. If you ever make a prophet, brethren, it's by the grace of God. Amen. Prophets don't come easy in this world. And if you, have a, if you get a, a job that, that you love and that supplies your pay and benefits, thank the Lord for it. It's by the grace of God. And if He keeps it up, it's by the grace of God. No union is going to keep your job. No collective bargaining. Nothing like that is going to keep your job. The Lord's got to keep your job. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Do you know what we've just been taught? That we ought to squeeze some worship of God into the talk of all our plans. If the Lord will. If God will. If the Lord permit. If God permit. See, now we know something that we didn't know before as much as maybe we should have. And that is whenever we're talking about tomorrow, the next day, and what we're going to do, and if we're going to be successful, we should always say, if the Lord will. Only if God permits is this going to happen. I'm going to do my best, but it's all up to the Lord. Now, we do, we do a lot of that in this church, and I'm thankful for that. But should we do a little bit more, especially in some lives? Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, now that I've told you this about all your planning, you know that you should be squeezing in if the Lord will. I only gave you two from the Apostle Paul. How many? Come on. You think there's only two in the New Testament? Wrong. The Apostle Paul does that over and over again. In Hebrews 6, he even says, watch this. He gets halfway through his epistle. And he's thinking about the things he wants to write in the second half. And he says this. He says in verse 1 of Hebrews 6, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. He says, I don't want to keep preaching these elementary things. I'd like to go on to something a little more important. And this will we do if God permit. His own writing. His own writing. He's submitting to the will of God. Hebrews 6 and verse 3. And there's more. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him that it, it is sin. Let us learn this verse. If the Lord will, we shall live. That's the first thing we need before there's any profit even considered. And do this or that. Let's get if the Lord will in there. Let's remember Proverbs 16.9. A man's heart deviseth his way. The Lord allows you to make choices based on your heart and your personal interests. 
based on your mind and the intellectual ability He's given you to foresee the evil and hide yourself from a bad situation, from a multitude of counselors that can give you safety. He lets you choose based on those things, and He takes care of the details. Put your trust in Him totally. Worship Him. Praise Him. Love Him. Read Ruth this afternoon and rejoice in Him. And say, Lord, take care of me half as much as you did Ruth. And I'll bless and praise Your holy name. He'll do it for you. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ reigns over all, and all the details of your life are in His hands. We do not know the future, but we know who holds the future. And we know He holds our hand. The Lord Jesus Christ of glory is our brother and our friend. He's also King of kings and Lord of lords. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ.